Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. you've got another event this weekend (laughs) you make it sound like I go out all the time you have you have been well I suppose that yeah there was there was the hens and I do love a little midweek dinner I did go to the movies and I saw um the Barbie movie have you seen that no not yet no I don't go to the movies that often and I already went and saw Oppenheimer Oh, how was that? that? It was really good. Um, Me and like everybody else aged 60 years old with with tops. Yes, yes. Well, wasn't it that you would go see that and then you would go see the Barbie movie? Like I heard people would do both in one night. Oh, gosh, I couldn't do that. You're tired. And and I think we went to the movies at like 3.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes, okay, um. I am partying a little more than going to the movies. I This weekend I surprised Stephen with tickets to G-Flip. And, in fact, don't ever surprise Stephen because he doesn't like to be surprised. He instead, because I was like, you know, we have like a family calendar that we share, you know, putting in dates of things and whatever. And I said, check the calendar. And he goes, G-Flip, where are they playing? And I said, Newcastle Uni Bar or something at Newcastle Uni. And he was like, Georgia, how like we we're too old to be going to Newcastle G Flip, but we love G Flip. We listened to them when we went. Oh, there was some trip. I don't know if it was WA or the South Coast or some like little week or two long holiday, and they brought out a new album at the time, and so it's great memories. You know why not? I only know like I've only more recently heard of G Flip from Selling Sunset because for some reason I'm just addicted to the trashiness of that TV show. I do like those types. Of, and I I watched that too. I've never watched previous seasons, but I watched that because I did hear that. Because of G-Flip and Chrishell. Yeah, and Chrishell. <laughs> I know. I was obsessed with that season too. Let's hope your partying keeps your cycle in check. Well. your late nights. I know. And I'm still breastfeeding, so I really need to like not rein it in, but just make a point to anyone listening that, you know, I'm not really, you know, my idea of budding is very different (laughs) to the standard person's idea of budding. But yes, good point. I hope it doesn't affect my cycle because today's topic is all about how to track the cycle properly. And we'll talk about things like alcohol and, you know, sickness, sleep and sickness affecting your schedules. Yeah. But we also wanted to talk about why we track the cycle, how to track the cycle and and what a normal cycle looks like. And because we get asked this a lot in clinic in terms of people saying, I am either coming off contraception or I just want to start tracking my cycle for contraceptive reasons or to either fall pregnant. And, you know, it's it's a lot involved um, and it can take several months to sort of get a good understanding of, of how to track your cycle and what your own body signs and symptoms are telling you. 
I think we should kick things off by, by explaining what a typical menstrual cycle looks like. Now, that's usually going to be broken up into four different phases. The first part of that menstrual cycle being the follicular phase. That phase is a lot of focus on the follicles growing in order to then ovulate, which is the next phase. People talk about ovulation being like the main event of the whole menstrual cycle because to have a period, you need to ovulate. And so although ovulation is really a process of, say, like 24 hours, it is that main event. And then once you ovulate, you go into the luteal phase. And that luteal phase could almost be broken into two separate parts. One part of rising hormones where your body suspects or thinks that it may be pregnant and it's preparing the body for that pregnancy until it reaches a certain point where it registers that no, there's no fertilized egg and those hormones start to decline and eventually you get your period. Yeah, it's a good breakdown. And when we talk about how our hormones can affect our mood and our energy, it's important to understand those different phases of the cycle because our hormones fluctuate all of the time. And if anyone's listening and they had listened to our episode with Kira Sutherland talking about exercise throughout the menstrual cycle, you know, we spoke about how at certain phases you'll feel like you have more endurance, you have more energy, you feel stronger, you feel fitter versus other cycle, other parts of the cycle, you feel the complete opposite. You can feel bloated, you can feel tired, and that can all be really normal. So that's why we're talking today about tracking the cycle and, and how to do that properly. I remember at one point I had like four different apps that I was using to track my cycle. Really? Yeah. I was like entering data like it was some sort of like <laughs> fancy spreadsheet and just putting it into different things and, and tracking that. But I personally track my cycle through Kindara. Um, I find that really user-friendly and it has the ability to log in symptoms of cervical fluid changes. But what I also like about it is that it's got a little section at the bottom, like a journal section. And it's quite funny because sometimes I'll read back and I'll see that I've like written a lot of information just before my period, like so bloated, don't know what I ate, feeling super tired. I was like, oh my God, it's such a Like really diary. emotional. Yeah. Like it was like your real emotional entry. That's that's so luteal, isn't it? And then you get your follicular, follicular entry and it's like dot points. Yeah, there's like, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing in the follicular phase, but then there's like paragraphs in the luteal phase. Oh, that's yeah, so I have personally been tracking on Kindara for like nearly three or so years. And I find that really interesting to just sort of look back and see, okay, there was, you know, four or so months where my cycle was really regular and then, you know, sickness where it was either longer or um, for me as well, like pregnancy losses and how that sort of throws out my next mm -hmm. few cycles after that. Um, I think it's so valuable to have this information ready mm -hmm. to look at. Yeah. You remember when you had COVID and your next cycle was like 40 something days? I am so influenced by like any fevers or stress. Yeah. And sometimes people are, um, some people have really sort of sensitive communication between that sort of brain and ovaries where mm -hmm. like I hear some of my other clients, it's like, I could, you know, like not eat for seven days and have 10 out of 10 stress, but my period will guarantee be there on day 28. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I use the app Fertility Friend, but I also, I went through a phase where I was using TempDrop because that's a wearable. So after I had Otto, 
and was breastfeeding but then was thinking about conceiving again I used temp drop because I could just wear that at night um I don't know where it, I think I lost it actually um but fertility friend I like it's not as like user friendly as Kandara like it doesn't look as nice as Kandara um or other apps like natural cycles but I have just been using that for years because from a clinical perspective, I can log in on a desktop. So whenever I have clients who I want to track their cycle, it's just, to be honest, it's just easy for me. Yeah, you can see. <laughs> can you do that with Kindara? You can do too. that with Kindara. And I think those apps should, they'll, they'll share similar sort of yeah. features. Um, and so for somebody getting started with tracking their cycle, pick an app, choose an app, mm-hmm. but make sure that that app um, has the information of tracking cervical fluid. Now, what I think we should sort of mention before we go into tracking cycles is that it's really important that this is highly considered if you are going to be using this as your main source of contraceptive because the human body will throw all sorts of weird and wacky things at you and we can't always guarantee when ovulation is occurring and so I think that that you know it's a really it's a really strong point in saying that this is not for everybody especially when we consider that nearly half of the pregnancies in the world are unplanned mm. um pregnancy is common and so yeah this this is not something to just sort of play around for a contraception reason yeah and the other thing i wanted to point out there was that there was this um cohort study from 2020 out of the university of adelaide that found that only 13% of people ovulate on day 14. And so that's one of the big problems that women face when they track their cycle is that they trust what the algorithm says and the algorithm's only going to do so much. So we don't want to bank on ovulating on day 14. We want to learn how to track a cycle properly and understand the fertile window so that either you can get the timing right if you're trying to conceive or you can understand how you can avoid um, conception. And what you were saying about that algorithm is that most of those apps are going to say your ovulation is expected in the next two to three days. How does it know that? It doesn't. It's a, it's an algorithm. Your body is smarter than that. Um, so you can't. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hope so. But you, you what you what you said, Georgia. You can't rely on these algorithms to tell you when you're ovulating. Um, so first step, download an app such as Fertility Friend or Kindara or either the TempDrop app. And then the next thing is to just sort of be aware of your body, what your body's doing, the um, what the first sort of signs and symptoms that you may notice is that estrogen starts to rise about seven to 10 days after when you got your period and what happens is that when estrogen is rising it makes changes in your um, vaginal secretions to say okay we are allowing the body to become fertile to accept sperm into the body the vagina normally sits at a ph between 3.5 to 4.5 so quite acidic whereas during this time of your um fertile window before ovulation that cervical fluid is quite alkalized and so that it doesn't kill off any of the sperm and so you may hear the term egg white consistency fluid remember that this is the consistency so you're really looking for a stretch between the fingers is your cervical fluid does it have a stretch or is it watery 
don't worry about the color as much. It's really about that consistency and putting that into your app. Fun fact, did you know that with egg white mucus, when you stretch it, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when you stretch the egg white mucus and if you were to look at that under a microscope, there's like little highways that help to transport the sperm to the egg. Fascinating. Wild, Is that the same concept as ferning? What's ferning? So ferning is when you look at cervical fluid under a microscope. And oh, I thought this was like some sort of sexual terminology, <laughs> you know? No. Like, um, oh, there's one that, oh, I have a really, actually, no, that story is probably not appropriate for the podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> we should upload a photo of ferning because it's actually so beautiful. Um, whoever found this, but it's the estrogen effect in cervical fluid that gives this um, visual illustration of fern of a fern okay uh yeah maybe <laughs> it could be similar I'm, I'm, yeah. not quite sure. I'm gonna have to review both Who visuals knows. and I'll get back to you so at this point you know that fer- uh, fertile phase of estrogen rising um that usually lasts for several days up to sort of five or so days um but the key sort of the key defining thing about that is really going to be the stretch but also what's interesting is that when they did a lot of when they did a big study on women who could um determine when they were ovulating it was when you notice more of a wetness at the vaginal opening. So not even anything to do with a stretch or looking mm. at cervical fluid, just a sensation of more of a wetness. Yeah, such a good point because I think people often go digging for cervical mucus and <laughs> the shovel sometimes. <laughs> and so I think it's important, like that's a really good point to make that, you know, we be aware of the sensations. And, um, okay, I've told a few clients this, but I think it's super fascinating. Just say you are trying to fall pregnant and you have no idea what's going on there in terms of uh, all of the fluids, whether that be arousal fluid, seminal fluid or cervical fluid. What's really interesting is that if you hold cervical fluid underwater, it will not disintegrate as arousal fluid or seminal fluid will. So it will stay intact or as a stretch in your hand or between your fingers, whereas the seminal fluid and arousal fluid will just go away in the water. I can tell you what, I hope you lock the door when you do that. <laughs> your partner walks in, Will walks in, hey, oh, sorry, uh, can you just... I'm just doing a science <laughs> experiment. Um, but I find that so fascinating. Like, what... Will I borrow your sperm? Do you have a microscope? <laughs> but, what, like, you know, when I tell my clients this, I wish that this was things that you, like, something that you could learn, you yes. know, after you finish high school or if it's, like, if you're, like, okay, what, you want to have sex for the first time? You've got to finish this course about yes. how cool the human body is. Cervical fluid changes all these things. Yeah. I sound like such a nerd like that. Really? <laughs> Gotta do your, your learners before you can have intercourse. Um and so when so basically what's happening during that time is that estrogen's rising, and then you also have another hormone called luteinizing hormone. And luteinizing hormone will have a surge, and that surge can last from 24 hours to sort of 36 hours. And you need that luteinizing hormone surge to help the egg pop out of the follicle, and that is ovulation. 
Um, a lot of people who are trying to conceive may use the luteinizing hormone um, test strips mm-hmm. or ovulation test strips. And if you get a positive on that, ovulation may still be 24 hours away. Um, but that egg that is popped out of the follicle will only live for 12 to 24 hours. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, is that those ovulation predictor kits tell you that you're about to ovulate. So when you get that positive, people think, oh, I'm ovulating right now. But in fact, it's hang on, hang on. This is just telling you that the LH is surging. And you really need that sperm up there waiting for the egg. Um, And that's the other thing when we're thinking about from contraceptive reasons. Uh, If the sperm is already there and you've already ovulated, there's still chance of fertilization. And that's why it's really tricky with that sort of uh, morning after pill or plan B medication, because that only stops ovulation. If ovulation's already occurred, then there's still a chance of conception. Yeah, absolutely. So we've spoken about tracking cervical mucus and changes of cervical mucus. We've spoken about ovulation, uh, like the ovulation predictor kits or tracking the LH. What else? So if you wanted to, for some people, they can track basal body temperature throughout their cycle. I was doing all of that. I had the thermometer and then I changed to temp drop and then I hated all of it and stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I would probably say is that the temp drop, although it is expensive, it's a wearable device that you wear on your arm overnight and it tracks your lowest basal body temperature that you then sync into the app um, the next day. The interesting thing with basal body temperature is that once you've ovulated, your temperature can increase by half a degree to a degree. Mm-hmm. And that's all from the hormone of progesterone, which increases your temperature. Yeah. And I think one of the big things to point out is that this is such a sensitive marker. While we often get people to track their basal body temperature and cervical mucus and maybe the ovulation predictor kits, depending on who they are, like if they have PCOS and naturally have high levels of LH, then those can give false positives and can be really confusing. But what's important to understand is that temperature, like, at any point is really sensitive. It's a sensitive marker. So we need to be aware of things that can affect your basal body temperature, like shift work or poor sleep or frequent wakings or mouth breathing or the temperature in the room. Alcohol. Alcohol. Intercourse, um, illness, like if you've had a fever or, you know, if you're sleeping closely next to another body, um, that sounded murderish. But... <laughs> you don't have that problem, do you? Because Will, you make Will face the other way. That's why he's got a sore neck. No, not sore he's neck. He's a mouth breather. Yes. <laughs> is he? Yes, yeah. we've spoken about this. Um, because he was saying that he can't rotate his neck the whole way. Poor Will, I hope he doesn't listen to this because, because he's I make him sleep one you. side. Yeah, because you make him sleep one side so he, like, has full rotation of his He's neck. He's like, I can turn my neck the whole way this side but only this side because I sleep on it that way. Um, basal body temperature is good but it won't tell you when you're about to ovulate. It will only tell you once you've ovulated. So I find that to be quite tough for clients who want to use it to fall pregnant. Um, That's why cervical fluid tracking is good because it gives you more of an understanding of when your fertile window is or when to avoid 
intercourse. Um, I should make a note as well that cervical fluid isn't necessarily a marker always of ovulation. It's just a sign that estrogen is rising. Mm, Interesting. And I think too, because there's so many different types of cervical fluid and often if if you're not sure, it can be confused with sperm. It can be confused with thrush. It, It can be really confusing. So it takes a few months, I would say, to oh, really understand. If you gave yourself three good cycles to understand what your normal looks like and start tracking it, track your basal body temperature, track your cervical mucus and see what happens over those three months. Then what you can determine, because when you track your temperature and your mucus, the pattern will be that your temperature will be around, I don't know, 36.3 degrees Celsius in the first half and then you get a rise and then it heads towards 37 degrees Celsius in the second half. I mean, obviously everyone's really different. But once you can see that rise alongside the cervical mucus changes, then you can be quite confident. And you know your site, you know how your body works and it's not something that you have to necessarily do every single month if you wanted to it's more just saying okay this is what's going on because not everybody ovulates at a particular I think what we were saying before not everyone ovulates on that day 14. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And so the other things to sort of be aware of as well is your like premenstrual symptoms once you've ovulated. Are you talking to me personally? (laughs) Yeah you've got to be aware of them. you please <laughs> you're pretty level-headed thank you I would say that too we yeah. should get Stephen and Will on the podcast just for a PMS no I've realized that PMS I don't have PMS it's my personality oh that's a shame so at last I'm just an way. irritable yeah I'm just an irritable person um but some people may experience symptoms like breast tenderness from ovulation till their period some people may notice that they get moody several days out before their period um documenting these sorts of changes or signs and symptoms whether it be acne whether it be mood whether it be fluid retention is good because then you can sort of see if that's improving headaches anxiety the and these are these can be really good clues as well as for somebody who comes in and says okay I'm experiencing um, constipation just before my period I'm experiencing really painful breast tenderness that for us as practitioners can be a sign of saying okay there's probably an imbalance with that ratio between progesterone and estrogen and how can we support estrogen clearance during that time Uh, or if somebody was experiencing spotting several days out before their period Mm. we need to think about the importance of the hormone progesterone as the name suggests progesterone progestation it's supporting that endometrial lining and stopping it from shedding too prematurely yeah and while pms is normal i mean sorry while pms is common <laughs> i will say it is not normal and we often Feels like people it. It, well for you it does because it's your personality <laughs> yeah you're right but the standard person you can have what should be normal is that your period should just arrive. Like, yes, you could feel a bit of a twinge. Yes, your energy could drop. You know, you might just feel a little bit flat, but there shouldn't be these huge swings in mood, in irritability, the big breast tenderness symptoms, big old, big old <laughs> breast tenderness. Um, and so, they, and there's a lot that we can do about it. Like, something as simple as 
<laughs> You're thinking about big old breast tenderness. <laughs> so something as simple as mineral support, such as calcium and magnesium. Add in some basics in there as well. Those can be enough to even make changes within one sort of cycle. I think, you know, we we have ebbs and flows in our hormones, so we have to expect some sort of ebb and flow with some symptoms, but they shouldn't be impacting what you do from a day-to-day basis. Um, it shouldn't be impacting necessarily re- relationships or your ability to work mm-hmm. or your, but I think, you know, just before your period, it's also okay to not want to have to go to the gym or to not want to socialize and do those things and to just sort of conserve your energy. And this is why it's good to track your cycle, because if you feel like some weeks you feel really flat and you don't want to talk to anyone and you don't really know what's going on, you can think, oh, what's wrong with me? But if you were tracking your cycle and you knew where you were in your cycle and you knew that, you know, what hormones are at play at that point in your cycle, it can kind of take the pressure off how you're feeling because you can think, oh, well, this is just hormonal. Like I I understand this, it'll pass, or this is what I need to do about it. Yeah, and you're giving your body, you're understanding that you're a fluctuating human being. With, Again, are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, you. Um, with ebbs and flows in those hormones, uh, I've just got a notification, funny, funnily enough, from Kindara. It tells, um, it says time for a self-check and it tells you to do breast tech checks as well. Oh, nice. Big old breast checks. Big old, big checks. old breast checks. <laughs> um so then we get to the part of the period and your period you know a a day of sort of uh, spotting can be normal it's almost like your period is getting ready that uterus is getting ready to contract so I would say maybe one day of spotting before I would consider normal but your period is classified as the first day of flowy blood Mm mm-hmm And that for some people can be a bit painful, but what's considered normal pain is not impacting your day-to-day activities. Something that if you take, you know, um, if you like exercise or put heat on, it should sort of diminish a little bit or responds really well to pain medication Um, or things like supplements, turmeric, those things as well. But a typical period should be lasting for around sort of two to no more than sort of five, six days Mm -hmm. with maybe a day or two after of just more light spotting, spotting, spotty. <laughs> That's a good normal period. And then what you'll find is, you know, as hormones start to rise again, then mood will be good, energy will be good. This is really the time um, that you'll feel like you can do more, be stronger. Mentally, you feel stronger. Um, so yeah, it's I think the whole point we're trying to make is you should track your cycle. <laughs> Yeah. And, and like to have this menstrual cycle, I think a lot of people feel discouraged by it and think that it's a negative thing, especially if they've got pain associated or if they have things like PCOS or adeno or endo. Um, But I think that this can be a real gift and a real uh, useful thing that we can, we can use. And it doesn't take too much to sort of track these symptoms. Um, You've just got to get started. Yeah. The, other thing I, I I want to mention about tracking your temperature, if we circle all the way back to that. Yeah, if, we're going like 800 metres back. 
Yes. Well, you know that that's how my brain works now. Um, What I wanted to say about that is because it is such a sensitive marker, yes, we want to check those factors that affect temperature like sleep and mouth breathing and alcohol and everything else. But what I also wanted to say is that when you do track your temperature and you start to see a pattern after a few months, and like I said, you know, you temp in the first half and then you get a rise and then it's a bit higher in the second half. If your temperature is all really flat lined, I just wanted to talk about what like an abnormal temperature means, because if your temperature is all flat lined throughout the cycle, that can actually indicate that potentially there's thyroid dysfunction or perhaps your temperature rises in the second half, but not as high as what we would like it. And that can tell you that progesterone is not getting high enough. And remember, from a mental standpoint, progesterone is our calming, soothing hormone. And from a fertility standpoint, like you mentioned, progesterone got its name from progestation. So it's the hormone that supports pregnancy in those early stages. So tracking your cycle, yes, can give us insight into ovulation and you know what's happening at that point in your cycle. But it can also give us an insight into other hormones like thyroid hormones and progesterone. Which all are coming from your pituitary gland in your brain. They're all sort of sending the same sort of message um, out. And, and as we sort of say with hormones, that they're like the email communications between your organs. And so if one's off, then most likely others are going to be off too. For our listeners who are wondering whether you can track your cycle whilst on either the pill or with the marina, you still can, except you're not going to be detecting ovulation in the same way because most of the time, especially on the pill, um, ovulation is is stopped, whereas the marina, you can ovulate and that will be sort of usually after a year or so of, of having that IUD. Um, but I still think it can be beneficial to sort of log in any sort of unusual spotting or any sort of PMS symptoms or mood changes or skin breakouts because you want to use that data to then be evidence for a health practitioner to say I've been on the pill for maybe a year or so but after sort of 13 months I noticed that I started to spot or get heavier bleeds um, and then we can create a bit of a timeline so just because you're on contraception doesn't mean that you can't track your cycle you totally can. Same goes with if you've had like a partial hysterectomy, you know, you've still got your ovaries so you can still have that communication access between the brain and the ovaries so you can still get PMS symptoms essentially but you're not necessarily getting the bleed. You could still track your cycle. This is what they call a virtual cycle, right? Virtual? Yeah, I think it's called a virtual cycle. And a partial hysterectomy being keeping the ovaries but removing the uterus. Yes, yes. So let's call it a virtual cycle whereby if you – get quite emotional, get your PMS type symptoms. And then you get a relief day, like the day that you go, oh, okay, I feel like I'm out of that. You could count that relief day as day one of your cycle and track it from there. It can be helpful for all sorts of people, but I think just having that data there and tangibly, you can refer back to that um, and, and look at it as an insight. I actually had a client recently who is on the fertility journey and we got her tracking her cycle and, you know, it took a good three months to understand what was going on. And it was interesting because she had like two really similar months and then she would have one different one and then two really similar months and then one different one. And 
what I think was happening. I think the idea is that you ovulate from one ovary and then the next month you ovulate from the other ovary, but you can ovulate from the same ovary, like, you know, two months or more in a row. Just like we have a dominant hand, you can have a dominant ovary, which I find super fascinating. So fascinating. So that was really interesting. But what we found after she started tracking her cycle and I walked her through what it, what it means, what all of the data she was entering actually means she was getting the timing wrong when she was trying to conceive because in her mind, she was like, okay, well, ovulation's day 14. That's when we'll do our conception attempts. When in fact, that was far too early for her cycle. So, and then she went on to conceive and anyway, it was interesting, but it was a really good case to go, okay, this is why we need to track the cycle to determine what's normal for you. And what your body's doing and those signs and symptoms, which isn't going to be the same every single month, um, give or take a couple of days. But that's so interesting. She's probably heard, yep, you ovulate day 14, that's when you try, but that's just too early if you ovulate day 16, 17, 18. Mm, Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, leave us a review and follow us on socials. We'd love to hear from you.